0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: In Winning in China Eight Stories of Success and Failure in the World's Largest Economy, Wharton experts Lila Sang and Carl Ulrich explore surprising stories of success and failure in China. They profile several well known companies, including Amazon, Hyundai, LinkedIn, Sequoia Capital, InMobi, and Zhenya as more and more businesses look to reap profits from the demand of 1.4 billion people. I'm Brett Legerato, Senior Editor for Wharton School Press. I had an opportunity to talk with Sang, Global Fellow at the Wharton School, and Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, and the CIBC Professor of Entrepreneurship and E-Commerce at the Wharton School. In this interview, we discuss which factors explain the success or failure of foreign companies entering China what challenges and pitfalls a company entering China can expect to encounter, and which managerial decisions are critical for survival. Thanks for being with us. Congratulations on publication of your book, Winning in China. Um, can you both first talk about your initial interest in China and how that grew into this collaboration?
2: So I was a journalist covering business and politics in China. And one of my reporting topic was international, was multinational corporations development in China. So that's how I got interested in this topic.
0: I've been interested in China for a long time. I made my first trip to China in 2006, but I'd never really done much professionally in China. And Lola actually just stopped by my office and said, I want to write a book about tech companies' failures in China. And I said, Lola, that sounds pretty interesting, but it sounds kind of like a downer And are there really no companies other than tech companies who've tried to enter China? So that's what led us to this topic of looking at all kinds of companies and both successes and failures of foreign companies in China.
1: Um, So you chose to focus the book on eight case studies spanning a variety of well-known large companies. When you were doing the initial research for the book, what drew you to these companies?
0: Well, the first thing is we really didn't want to write about companies that everyone already knew about. So we didn't want to write about Google and Facebook and a lot of people know about Starbucks success in China. So we really wanted these to be news stories, really the first time that someone had written extensively about these companies. And then we just looked for diversity across a variety of dimensions. We wanted companies that were outside the United States, that were from all over the world. We wanted companies that were in consumer, in tech, and in in B2B businesses, and we wanted a combination of successes and failures.
2: So in fact, we initially put together a list of over 200 companies, and then we filtered out the majority of them based on our definition of success and failure.
1: Yeah, um, so of the companies you profile, whose success most surprised you and whose failure?
0: Well, on the success side, I guess I was most surprised by Sequoia Capital, which actually is one of the most successful companies in, in our book. Because you think about it, uh, venture capital is a business that's really about connections and about being tied into the ecosystem. And yet here's this American company that ends up being the most successful, or one of the most successful venture capital companies in China.
2: Uh, I think Inmobis' success most surprised me. Imobi is a tech company, Indian tech company, um, but the tech industry in China has been notoriously difficult for foreign players to break into. There are so many star players that have tried and failed or struggled in China. So Imobi made it, uh, it came to China around 10 years ago, but now it's China's largest independent mobile advertising network.
1: So take us through your framework for identifying success and failure in China, you both approach this in a very uh, specific way and data-driven way.
0: A lot of business books are just a lot of stories and we really wanted to provide some structure and some framework to our analysis. So we developed a framework for understanding success and failure in China. And first of all, we defined success as meeting a significant fraction of demand in your category with sustained competitive advantage. And so we felt that it was really important to define success. We then uh, establish uh, three necessary conditions, and that is you have to have access to the market, there has to be demand for your product or service, and you have to come to the competition, to the the arena with some significant advantages relative to local competition. And then we considered uh, five managerial factors. These are actual decisions that managers make in entering China, and they are commitment, governance structure, leadership, strategy and the product that you bring. And then finally, we wanted to recognize that there was a really key role of luck or what the economists call the exogenous factors, things that are outside your control that can dictate your success or failure.
1: Let's talk a bit about Amazon, which is the first case you mentioned in the book. Uh, Amazon is obviously no slouch and amid a pandemic, it has surged to become the second most valuable company in the world. Why did you find that it failed in China?
2: We could use our framework to analyze this case. So first of all, Amazon didn't bring any competitive advantage to the Chinese market. And secondly, Amazon didn't commit to the Chinese market, especially compared with its Chinese rivals, JD and Alibaba. And thirdly, uh, Amazon, Amazon had a clumsy strategy. Its strategy was to using a global template to manage our business in China. Uh, which didn't work out because of the different uh, business environment in China. And uh, Amazon's, uh, structure, Amazon's government structure didn't give its China unit enough autonomy. They couldn't even add a button to its website honestly, unless the, the headquarters said yes. So uh, combined all the factors, Amazon didn't make it in China.
0: But you know, I think there's something really interesting about the Amazon story, which is was it in fact, a good thing that they left china? so if if you look at at what's happened to Amazon since they left China, they have created a huge amount of shareholder value. So you ask the question, if I had a few extra billion dollars and some managerial attention to invest in initiatives, if I'm Jeff Bezos, was it in fact the right thing? To go after cloud services, AWS, other kinds of initiatives in its other markets, or to fight it out in China where it knew it would have a bloody battle. And so while they failed, it may have actually been the right managerial decision for them to have invested elsewhere.
1: Okay, let's move on to, uh, so the Norwegian Cruise Lines entry into China brings up a really interesting example into something you touch on throughout the book, how cultural differences can boost or sink different companies, that pun was intended. Um, Can you talk about the role it plays and, and with something like the cruise industry specifically?
0: Norwegian Cruise Line is a super interesting example because certainly the conventional wisdom would be that you need to tailor your product to the Chinese customer. And so Norwegian Cruise Line made tremendous efforts to make its ships very Chinese. So you can imagine a lot of red and gold and dragons and all of that. But actually, the Chinese consumer wanted a Western cruising experience. And so ironically, their efforts to localize their product actually backfired for them.
2: Right. I think it's really important for the company to to understand when um, when to localize your products, when to uh, standardize your, your products.
1: Um, so another, the last company I want to talk about is Zegna, um, the Italian luxury brand. Uh, it's been another huge success story in China, but now it obviously faces headwinds from COVID-19. How do you expect it to respond moving forward?
0: Xenia is a fascinating company. It's been around for more than a century, starting in the in the hills of, of northern Italy. And its success can really be attributed to a very long-term perspective and to tenacious management, largely by the same family. And if you think about it, Zenya has survived world wars. It survived essentially the destruction of Italy, its home country, in the middle of the 20th century. And so I predict that Xenia will survive this virus and its tenacity, its commitment, its long-term perspective will in fact be its assets as it faces adversity.
1: More generally, how do you expect COVID-19 and its lingering effects to impact the way multinational companies look to enter and operate in China?
2: Um, I think COVID-19 doesn't change the fact that China is still a very attractive market and uh, its economy continues to normalize. Um, In fact, many industries in China have already rebounded, including uh, manufacturing, retail, hospitality, even uh, luxury. So, in fact, China is the first major economy to recover from COVID-19 because of the Chinese government adopted a very aggressive approach to contain the virus, and it worked. So as a result, um, many multinational corporations rely on China more than ever to deliver a positive outcome. Um, some companies like, uh, like Walmart, Starbucks, even added investment during the pandemic. So uh, I think uh, when it comes to prices like COVID-19, companies should look at it from a long-term perspective.
0: You, you know, it's, it's really interesting. There might actually be a silver lining for those who make direct investment in China with the existing trade conflicts, particularly between the United States and China, import-export is actually what's largely impeded, and operations that are actually headquartered in China may actually be buffered somewhat from the import-export restrictions. So it might actually increase the importance of having operations directly in China.
1: So. The book is jam-packed with insights and takeaways, but if you wanted readers to come away with one lesson, um, what do you hope it is?
0: For me, the biggest lesson is to make sure to make a very realistic assessment of what assets and capabilities you really bring to the challenge. A lot of Western companies believe their brands are very strong, but their brands may not be strong in China. And so really taking a hard-nosed perspective on what are your assets and capabilities, and are they sufficient to overcome the inevitable friction in starting a venture overseas is probably the most important insight from the book.
2: I think foreign companies should develop its advantage, and not only develop its advantage, but also to maintain them during the course of competitions. Uh, In that way, they are more likely to succeed in China. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.